because 93% of the population is right-handed, they tend to move to the right when they enter a showroom. They tend to move to the middle of the showroom, they stop and take what's called the Vista view, and they largely make a decision about whether they're gonna shop in that showroom. Hello and welcome to another episode of KB Talks powered by the NKBA, the only podcast really dedicated to sharing the latest kitchen and bath industry insights to help grow and support your businesses. I am Elle Millard, Industry Relations Manager with the NKBA and your KB Talks host. Today's topics explores the intersection of showroom trends and neuroscience. So we're going to be geeking out a little bit today and really helping people develop their showroom spaces. So when you enter a showroom, do you think to turn left or right? Have you paid attention to why something catches your eye? So our neurosciences have studied these things for ages and as it turns out, there's a lot in the showroom space that folks can learn about designer and consumer. So what do designers, showroom designers, employees, manufacturers, and consumers for that matter, need to know about the neuroscience of showrooms and how they support new product discovery? Lucky for us, today we have two guests that will break it down. Suzanne DeRusha, Content and Design Manager at ACPI, and Rob Best, Senior Advisor of Cognitive Strategy at Elke Corporation. But before we get started, let's hear a quick word from our sponsor. Monogram is more than luxury appliances. Monogram is the experience. We're inspired by life and the way you live. With high style, superior craftsmanship, and award-winning technology, our products raise the bar on what's possible in your kitchen designs. Our industry-leading induction cooktops, connected ovens, custom panel refrigerators, Advantium speed cooking ovens, and premium dishwashers blend seamlessly into your dream kitchen projects. Whether for yourself or your clients, Monogram helps you push the boundaries of gourmet style and create a kitchen fit for a chef. Okay, it's time to step right into today's conversation. Suzanne and Rob, it's so wonderful to have you here. If you would just give us a little bit of background uh, about yourselves, we'll start with Suzanne first. Uh, well, thank you for having me. We're very excited to be here. Um, so I've been in the kitchen industry as a kitchen and bath designer for 30 years plus, and for the past 18 years, I've been inside, if you will. So I moved from the position of being a designer to the inside and working for a cabinet manufacturer. Um, which is now under the ACPI umbrella. Um, most of my colleagues refer to me as the trend lady. That's kind of the little funny buzz term I introduce myself as when I'm doing presentations. I've been to hundreds of showrooms, designed for both showrooms and multiple displays within showrooms, uh, mostly under our brands. And um, I feel like I've done a lot of things for the company. So <laughs> that kind of summarizes it for today's conversation. Awesome. Can you tell us about ACPI just a little bit so our listeners can understand a little bit more about that as well? Sure. Well, it's a multi-brand uh, umbrella, if you will, of companies that serves everything in the industry from uh, entry-level price point to the highest end of semi-custom through multiple brands in both dealer network and builder network and in home center environments. Awesome. 
And Rob, can you tell us a little bit about your background? I know you've spoken at Voices from the Industry, but I'm really excited to hear uh, about your background as well. Sure. So I've been in the industry, like Suzanne, about 30 years. I'm a certified kitchen designer. Um, I led um, a nationally recognized kitchen and bath uh, company at one point in my life. Uh, today, I run uh, an aggregation group for the LK Corporation. And what we do is we look at the latest findings in brain research in three areas, creativity, communication, and decision-making. And then we look at ways to leverage that into the industry. Uh, and it's just a really emerging, cool field. Uh, and we've been able to take some really interesting research that's been done by the top neuroscientists around the world and apply it into the business uh, realm. And it's just been a lot of fun to do. And I've been doing that for about just over 12 years. That's so exciting. I think that's really what this conversation is about, is shaping up how we can help our members really grow their businesses in this showroom space, whether it's the behaviors of how they walk about the spaces. So um, can you kind of give me some background on just the, the layout and the navigation of how you would walk through a showroom and some of those things that maybe make a difference for a consumer when it comes to purchasing? Sure. So, you know, what's really interesting is when we think about decision making, you know, we tend to think that we're going to make a logical decision, but it turns out that there's a part of the brain um, that is not logical and it's emotional. So uh, based on a lot of really cool ethnographic surveying, which means that we set up uh, video cameras in showrooms and just watch what people actually do. Uh, and what's fascinating is, for example, uh, because 93% of the population is right-handed, they tend to move to the right when they enter a showroom. They tend to move to the middle of the showroom. They stop and take what's called the Vista view, and they largely make a decision about whether they're going to shop in that showroom. So the old notion of the front displays are really important. That was probably true, you know, in the 1900s when the horse and buggies were driving by and you look through the window and try to decide, you know, are we going to pull up here? But in today's fast-moving world, people actually move into the showroom and make decisions from the middle of the showroom. So one of the questions we always ask when we're doing showroom design is, you know, what have you designed for the middle of your showroom and how impactful is it? Uh, an another example is we know, for example, that uh, when people enter the showroom, they tend to move away from any receptionist because they really don't want to get hassled in the front end. So um, because of that, it's important to understand that you have to give people some space into that showroom. And Suzanne, do you see the same type of um, behaviors happening in the showrooms that you've worked with as well? Yeah, and they come in all shapes and sizes, of course. So, you know, when you're dealing with the gamut of different type of, let's just say the dealer business as an example, we can have small um, kitchen showrooms within the footprint of something larger like a lumberyard environment. And so that takes on an, a completely different dynamic. But the positioning of that entrance, as Rob is saying, is very key to not be, I guess, offensive or create that sort of, oh dear, I don't want to go that way. As we've all stepped through a showroom of some kind in our lives, we know that feeling of not wanting to be sold something. And uh, one of the showrooms I participated in remodeling or refurbishing, if you will, we eliminated the reception counter altogether. And it's proved to be very positive and they don't miss it. So it's kind of an interesting um, science, if you will. So is there a greeter that comes in or do 
the consumers or homeowners or dealers come into the showroom spaces and just kind of navigate it on their own? Is there any type of welcome that you would recommend? There, well, certainly you don't want to feel like you're in a vast space. I mean, the, the larger the showroom, the, that has a big part to play in it as well. If it's a, it's a multi-room showroom and they're very large, there almost has to be a reception area so that they can be given a map in some cases to navigate. And no one wants to be left alone in something that large. But in showrooms, um, typically now what we're seeing is, is that the, the office space is using cameras. So they can see when someone's come through their door, they use the chime, of course, which is just motion sensor. And they come out of their then office space to greet the person after a particular set kind of period of time, or if they're in the middle of a call, they come out right after. So they're using different uh, technology to make sure they're greeting the client if they're certainly not having an actual greeter station. Awesome. And, and Rob, is there and, and, um, a time frame that you think that is appropriate for that? So that's interesting. And it really depends on, on the modality of the buyer, but you know, you don't want to give them too long a time to wander around. So usually, uh, you know, 20 or 30 seconds is fine. But one of the really interesting things we've discovered is that, um, people really enjoy the idea of the experience. So I can go on the internet, obviously, and look at cabinets, but I'm coming in the showroom to kick the tires and get that experience. And we know that unless you orchestrate the navigation of that showroom uh, hand in hand with me as the consumer, the, the, the consumer doesn't actually see the entire showroom. What's interesting is that the brain can't process that much information. So even though I might physically look at a display if there are a lot of displays in the showroom, I don't necessarily lodge those displays in my memory. So when I walk out of the showroom, I may not retain what I've actually seen unless I'm being directed and orchestrated by a showroom consultant. So, you know, the idea that you can kind of let a customer wander around the showroom is not as effective as having a set program where, to Suzanne's point, you know, someone comes out of their office, they're greeted, and then I kind of escort you and help you through all the questions that you might have. Yeah, that makes sense. Um, so what is the overall role of the showroom in the current product discovery cycle? Well, okay, so from a product discovery cycle, kind of the way I interpret this question is, well, the ability to see full scale, for real, sometimes fully functioning kitchen and bath displays in that it cannot be re replicated. So if you visited my website, I am abckitchens.com, you're going to see some of what's happening in my showroom and my brands, but until you get into my showroom, you may not see that full scale element. And we might be talking about the technology of cabinetry or appliances, uh, the touch and feel of things is certainly not something that we can replicate quite yet on computers. So um, uh, as an example, one of the showrooms that I went back to, so I was at Eurokachina, the kitchen uh, show in 2014. I went back in 2018 to the same showroom in the design district, and they had added a spa, a full spa bathroom to their showroom. It was fully functioning. You could even set up an appointment to use the shower if you would like to, and no one would be there. So the whole idea, though, was they were incorporating technology and lighting, uh, aromatics, water, everything was happening and you were observing and being part of that showroom in a very different way, which was highly experiential, obviously, as opposed to just looking, touching, feeling. Now you can really become, you know, integrated with a display in a different way. So I think that's kind of 
at the max level of what a showroom can provide, it can involve all of the senses. And I think what's really important is to understand to Suzanne's point is that, you know, what you really are selling is memory. Um, it's memory that everybody works off of. The words I'm speaking right now are gone. You have to remember what I said and whether you're remembering what someone said a second ago or five minutes ago or a week ago, everything lives in memory. The entire brain always operates in memory and the ability to pull back information that you've experienced. So from a sensory standpoint, we know, for example, that if I talk and I only hear one sense, I hear your voice, in 72 hours, the average person forgets 90% of that information. If I experience a second sense where I hear and see it, so I'm actually seeing a showroom display, I pick up another 30 or 40% of memory. If I actually physically touch uh, the product, so I open a door or pull out the faucet, I can actually grow my memory to 80%. So really, a kitchen design business is really trying to drive as much memory as possible because it's all about that memory that's going to help me down the road decide whether I'm going to come back, whether I'm going to end up going with you as a designer. So whatever you can do to drive more sensory experience, you know, that's what, where the power is. And that's why Suzanne's 100% right. You can create a sensory experience in a showroom that just can't be duplicated on a computer currently. Right. So we've seen a lot of um, these user experiences where people are coming to the showroom and experimenting on appliances or trying out different uh, plumbing fixtures. So it is much more of an experience center than it is just a showroom. Is that something that you all have seen a lot of or you recommend? Well, yeah, all the science supports that, you know, what the brain is really craving is an experience. And you know, the idea in the old days where I could come to a warehouse and make my selections and, and, you know, whether I was comfortable with that or not, you know, that was kind of the way it was set up. Uh, in today's world, I can go online and do all of that. So when I, when I come to a showroom, I want something else. I want, you know, a full uh, experience where all my senses are being touched. And uh, as a result of that, you really have to rethink the way that you process a customer through that experience. And we know, from, for example, that if you are able to create an experience beyond what I expected, there's an 80% chance that I'm going to buy from you. So creating that, that ultimate experience is really what it's about. And if you, weirdly, if you create an experience that just matches what I expect, you get no bump in sales from that. So if I already anticipated what I was going to happen and I come, I come in and that's what happens, you don't, get, you don't get any real essential value out of that. So there's a a Japanese researcher named Kano, who's done a lot of research on this. And it's all about creating that wow experience where when I leave, you know, I can honestly say, wow, you know, that, that was really cool. I didn't expect that to happen. That's really what's necessary to drive the, the brain to the point that you tip into a sale. That makes sense. Do you have any additional insight on that, uh, Suzanne? Um, no, as far as like adding to the answer Rob gave, when we see dealers who pull in different like hosts, so for example, if you're selling appliances or your appliances in your room, incorporating those vendor partners within the experience, they are usually very willing and happy to participate in doing events. So if, if it's not something you want to do on your own, there are appliance companies out there that are really happy to participate with you on that and bring in that guest chef cook something with truffle please because that's a significant memory 
connection. <laughs> Everyone's going to remember the smell of that truffle. And it's something, again, that cannot be replicated on, in an online sort of experience. And it's teaching people something. It's like watching a chef. I, I had the opportunity to go to the Sub-Zero Wolf Center in Madison, Wisconsin, and they were hosting a wonderful event for manufacturers. And we were watching the chefs use the appliances. And I took away some really key like training tips on how to use my appliances better. And that wasn't necessarily what their goal was for us as the audience, but it's something that I took away and it's just an added benefit in the memory connection to that brand. Oh, for sure. So we too have been on some of those where you are cooking with the chef. So you feel mm -hmm. like you have that experience where you're being coached by a chef and you're actually using the appliances yourself. So I definitely agree with that. With having that experience, it also builds that brand loyalty um, to, to your customers. So I think mm -hmm. all of those are, are great insights. Do you have any input? Uh, we've had some questions in the past around expense. Um, all of these things sound super amazing, but there could be some limited budgets. Is there any tips and tricks that you can get the biggest bang for your buck, um, but still keeping a budget pretty affordable? You know, uh, I, let me answer, let me go there because what's really interesting is, uh, I've had the opportunity to design over 50 different showrooms and we put a lot of energy in looking at the science behind it. And one of the places that I think is a little bit neglected uh, is the idea of how I move you through the selling process. And one of the points where showrooms tend to break down is in selection. So, you know, people are overwhelmed by the product that they're looking at and they, you know, and they look at all the different things and they can't decide or they, you know, they change their mind or even worse, they have buyer's remorse, you know, and they want to return the product. And one of the really interesting things is that we know that the brain is binary when it makes decisions. In other words, it's really designed to choose between A and B. And so when, whenever you offer me selection, your chances of selling me go up by almost 40% if you narrow the selection and pre-sort the selection so I don't have to work as hard. I'll give you just a simple example. Let's suppose I'm looking at granite samples. If you sorted all the granite so all the dark was on one side and the light was on the other, then if I know that I don't want dark granite, I just cut my decision-making by 50%. And the brain is really designed to save energy and time whenever it can. And so anything you do to sort the product ahead of time so that I don't have to work that hard to make a decision increases my chance of buying. Here's another example. Suppose I have lighting. Let's suppose that you have all the lighting hanging as you do in a lot of showrooms from the ceiling. If you pre-sorted that, so maybe you had all the modern lighting in one area and the contemporary lighting in an area, and maybe the arts and crafts lighting in an area, the more you sort, the easier it is for the brain to make decisions. In the same way that if I go to a paint store, I don't look at all the colors just randomly up on the wall. They've all been pre-sorted so that if I want to paint my bedroom blue, I can go right to the blues and work through those colors that are striated based on, on hue, right? So that, that simple idea of taking what's in the showroom and sorting it ahead of time so the brain doesn't have to work as hard doesn't really require expense as much as it requires you to do a little forethought in how you place product. That's so, so insightful. I think that 
having that organization is key. I know just shopping for clothes. I do the same thing, right? When, when you go into a store, it's so much easier for your brain to absorb the types of things that you're looking for, whether it's a formal outfit or something more fun, which for me is always more fun. But <laughs> um, that idea is, is always there on the forefront of uh, categorizing in our brains. Um, so I'm curious, uh, how has the evolution of Pinterest and Instagram really changed the, ro the role of showrooms? So I'll just jump in here. Um, we know that these visual aids obviously do exactly that. They help the consumer generate ideas, narrow down what they like, like Rob is talking about in making sort of pre-selection. Um, if you are a huge uh, fixer-upper fan, you know, you're following those pages that look like that and you're using those to kind of create your future design and it gets them started. People started in their own time in the comfort of their home before they step foot into any showroom. So you look at it as an advantage, really, they're helping sort through their ideas already. That's, I mean, that's the ideal model. Absolutely. Uh, certainly it can be overwhelming. I think you're almost thinking like I'm an artist type person, so I, but I'm also very organized. So it's really easy for me to go, well, this belongs in my den category or whatever my room is that I'm thinking about. And I can go back later and narrow down those choices before I have the conversation, first conversation with the designer I meet with. Yeah, what's really, I mean, if you want to look at a, a, an interesting thing, if you look at the way that a female brain and a male brain uh, prosecutes a showroom, uh, the female brain is designed to be much more detail-oriented, which is why a woman can walk in a clothing store, to your point, and pretty instantly tell whether she wants to shop in that store. If you're, if you're the husband or spouse or boyfriend of that woman when she walks in the store, you're shocked that within 30 to 60 seconds, she'll turn to you and say, oh, there's nothing in here for me. And you're thinking, well, how is that? How could you possibly make that decision? But what's, what's really wild is, is that uh, a female brain, when we look in an fMRI, when we put a woman in an fMRI, which is you know, a really cool instrument that a lot of neuroscientists use, we recognize that 11 parts of the brain light up on a woman when she's looking at a showroom. If you, if you look at a male, it's more like one to three. So women are super detailed and it can really pick through and, and do a visual sort, which literally takes place at 280 miles an hour. And so women are very good at, you know, kind of sussing out a showroom right away and saying, yeah, this, this looks like something in there for me or not. And the reason that, the reason we know they're really good at that is because over time, they've created these shortcuts or what we would call heuristics that allow them to make those really what seems like on the spot decisions. But in fact, they're predicated on all the past memory that they've stored about all the shopping they've done. So they're, they're actually um, leveraging all of their shopping experience when they're making those decisions. So it isn't just a, a random kind of thing that's happening. And how would you say technology plays into this as well? I know that there's so much technology in showrooms. Is there, is there a, a happy medium there in which we should be using? Um, how, do you, how do you choose how to integrate in? technology into these? We, we talk to dealers about, you know, everything from the basic of replacing a display and just updating certain areas of the showroom to real full overhauls. And with all of the technology that we experience throughout our lives, and let's use, a, let's use an automobile showroom as an example. 
So when I walk into one of these showrooms today, I've done some research before I've walked in. So that's kind of the same model. I've looked on Pinterest and Instagram for my kitchen likes, and I've, I've gone and researched a vehicle brand before I've decided to walk into the showroom. And one of the ways that they can engage with us when we come into that space is they're not, you know, attacking us, which is rare, um, trying to sell us something is to have technology present to let us do some interactivity of our own. So that could be the touch screens, like we might see in airports or even in malls, of course, today, and showing people that we're going to give them that space. I think involving technology in the showroom experience is key to saying that you are with what is happening in technology, even in something as simple as, um, you know, a blind corner system within a cabinet. So having touchscreen interactivity if they should want to use it. It's not to say that they have to. So I personally think that technology incorporation is, is essential to saying that you are investing in yourself and in the future, and so they can too. So I know lighting plays into technology too so much, um, and it's a hot topic right now. What are some things that might surprise our design audience about how lighting impacts product discovery? Well, one of the things that I, I'm not sure people recognize is uh, the value of light as it relates to the eye. So uh, there's some really interesting research that shows the better lit a display is, the more likely people will, will buy. And conversely, uh, up uh, is likely not to generate a lot of sales for you. So, you know, if you look at your displays, uh, you might be surprised to find that the reason Display X isn't doing anything for you is just the fact that it's not well lit. And to, and to drive that home, when you're 20 years old, um, you need X amount of light coming to your eye. But when you're 40 years old, you need twice as much as the 20-year-old needs. So the older we get, the more light we need in order to make sense of what we're looking at. And so if there isn't enough light in the display, older customers have a tendency not to linger not to stay in that display, not to spend much time in it, which means from a science standpoint, they're not creating as much memory. If they're not creating memory, then they don't remember it. When they leave the showroom, then that's gone. And so the lighting is really critical uh, and understanding whether displays are properly lit is really critical to how long I spend in it, how much memory I build, and whether there's a likelihood I'm going to buy what's in that display. How about um, just temperature of lighting? So warm versus cool. Is there a science behind that as to how buyers uh, create behaviors around buying? Yeah, well, what, what's, what's kind of wild is, is that the eye was designed to see with the sun. Uh, and the sun is a very warm light. And so the brain really likes warm light better than cool light. So um, warm light is really critical. I'm going to let Su Suzanne jump in because she'll tell you, you know, what cool lighting does to cabinet doors. <laughs> Okay, so I personally just remodeled my kitchen. So I went through this experience of incorporating the LED lighting. And certainly I've been working with the vendors and manufacturers of this product for many, many years. And it's like getting an iPhone in a way in that every couple of years, this technology changes and it's changing so quickly. Um, but the point being like, now my kitchen is all done and I have both cool and warm lighting in my kitchen. But I didn't realize that there was actually a product out in the market now that allows me to change that temperature. So that's kind of the newest technology in um, Bluetooth accessibility to not only change the brightness, like 
dimming the light or brightening it, but also to change the temperature based on the mood. So we could set up a mood through this Bluetooth technology that allows us to set it for Rob's piano playing time, if that's what we're, you know, setting the kitchen stage for, which maybe is entertainment time and ambient as opposed to, you know, it's functional time in the kitchen and my task at, you know, the countertop should be brightly lit. So that's where the cooler light comes into play. So there are variables and technologies allowing that to change like on demand, as opposed to having to make that decision permanent, you know, from the time you order the lighting. Yeah, I think lighting is so important. Um, we've seen some different things uh, as trend spotters in Europe too, with the same type of concept, which is really fun and exciting that you can set it for the millennial eyes or the 40 year old eyes. So I think that that concept is really driving home uh, new inspiration to allowing us to see these things better. Right, and, and I'd add this too. If, if you have this ability in your showroom, as Rob was talking about, to show uh, adjacent displays, one fully lit, equipped in, with interior lighting, under cabinet, toe kick, everything, and the other without, it's, it's self-explanatory. You can watch the interactivity in a display that's fully lit, and even something as simple as a corner cabinet is going to get more activity than a cabinet that's not lit on the opposite side. So it's selling itself. I mean, it's a tough thing to start to learn as a kitchen designer, uh, all of the needs and um, details of specifying lighting. But most companies that the bigger brands out there that are offering the lighting are also offering planogram surfaces. So they do the work for you and make it very easy. So when you're designing a showroom and you think about the lighting as a consistent, is that warm or cool? I think it's both. It is it's, both. Yeah. And again, if the, if the next phase in this, which it appears to be, is the ability to change that, there's probably going to be uh, an activity panel that as the host is going through the showroom to start to talk to them about that at some point in the decision-making process of what they're including in their design, in their product portfolio and what do they want because everything has a price point which you mentioned earlier so on a basic level you know the ribbon strip lighting is quite effective and it's lower price point than when we get into this um, this more advanced technology so I'm um, switching gears just a little bit I'm just curious um, how do you know when it's time to invest in a new vignette or a new display when, when do you recycle that old one out and bring in something new that's that's a really good question and it's in, it's it's funny to me that how, how frequently people wait too long to change the display out and there's actually a pretty interesting formula and that's um every month you should be tracking your sales against the displays in your showroom and what what we see is over time you'll have dead areas in your showroom where there'll be a display it might even be kind of an attractive display but it's not actually generating any sales so you always want to be coordinating and looking at the sales against those displays. And when a display is no longer doing anything for you, that's the time to change it out. What happens, unfortunately, is that even though that display might look good, it becomes a dead zone. And pretty soon there's a second one and a third one. And then all of a sudden, half your displays in a the showroom, they look okay, but you're not actually generating any sales off of that. And then it becomes really expensive to go in and remodel the whole showroom. So Suzanne and I, are, I know are on the same page on this. You, you have to constantly be evaluating your displays. 
and and just slowly always updating you know just it's kind of a slow process but you're always in that updating mode so at no time do you end up with a large piece of your showroom uh that's just completely dead and suzanne can really talk to you once you decide what kind of you know it's time to change the display you know what's the next step yeah this is where you know this is where my experience has been for the past 18 years this is when um you're usually your vendor reps get involved so and you're talking about every rep from cabinetry to countertops to appliances lighting everything and getting those professional resources integrated to talk to about what's happening in your region because it is very market specific what's happening in downtown chicago versus the suburbs of chicago is is a bit different and those experts will help drive that information from their vendor um, manufacturers to determine what's the best fit for your showroom and in your market and then i always say this like talk to other professionals like within your your own community so that could be interior designers that could be nkba you know uh, chapter meetings to get other people to look at your space because i always liken this to the febreze commercial you can go blind, you know, like nose blind to something. You can go just, you can start blocking things that you, you don't want to see in your showroom. Uh, you don't notice anymore and they can be big eyesores. And that's unfortunately in my experience of going through showrooms, that has been one of the biggest deterrents is clutter and, you know, too much is too much. And it's, it's as Rob said earlier, it just becomes too overwhelming and people don't know what to look at. Is there any psychology or neuroscience with color as far as what people gravitate towards? Are they interested in seeing color in showrooms or do they want to see something that's more neutral? Color, color is an interesting uh, topic. And um, so there's two ways to answer that question. One, one thing we know for sure is that the brain tends to store things that it doesn't expect. And, and so it makes note of that. So that's why if you had a display and you had a, um, you know, a little shock of red in it and, and, and most, mostly a neutral display, the brain will really pick up on that difference. But the brain also gets tired of just being bombarded by color. So, you know, you have to kind of think about every vignette as its own freestanding, you know, visual, and you have to sort of mix it up, right? So just sort of like a musician would do with a song set, you know, some fast, some sad, some happy, uh, in the same way, your showroom has to sort of reflect that as well. And so, you know, you have to have a lot of vibrance of color, but at the same time, you have to have some neutrality. So, it, you know, there's not a perfect way of saying, you know, let's do a lot more blue or let's do a lot more green. Suzanne can definitely tell you what's trending, though, in terms of like what's hot right now, what's not, that sort of thing. Yeah, let's, let's talk quickly about that. I think that that's really exciting to talk about specific to showrooms. Um, just from the perspective of holding in that memory bank. So usually that holds something with a strong color or a strong pattern, but maybe that's different in a showroom because you want them to also want to buy that for their home. And it certainly goes back to sort of the expert advice of the designer in that particular showroom. So color is happening right now. We know that we're seeing more color because of the shift. We went you know, through the post recession. We had this strong evidence of a lot of people buying white shaker, of course, uh, but now that it's made its way into the mainstream and even builder market, of course, new construction, now everyone's used to it. So as 
Americans and human beings, we tend to want to see something different, as Rob was talking about. So we move into sort of the neutrals and the grays, and that's like the safe alternative to white for most people in that mainstream market. But in the last three years, we're seeing more color becoming uh, primary in entire perimeters as opposed to just on the island or the, or the feature hood. So this is a great time to talk about color because it's happening very quickly, actually being adopted very quickly if you're paying attention to Instagram and what's happening in Kitchens on House. Um, blue being the hottest color trend, anything in the blue family, and then trailing that is what's happening with green. So those two colors, very natural, pulling in from the earth, and that sort of whole earth feeling movement has moved us into colors that are like from the desert, if you will. So um, deeper golden colors and darker tans and paints and even some deeper red tones. So we're, we're seeing that happening. We're experiencing our dealers putting color out there uh, in their showrooms. And the great thing about that is it can be in an island and it can live for the few years that it's intended to and it can be changed out. Yeah, color is my favorite topic, right? And I mm -hmm. think that the more color we use, the beca it becomes more neutral to our brain, and then you accent with whites or metallics or different types of things. So thank you. That was fun to listen to and exciting to hear that this is where the industry is really going. Yeah, so we're excited for it too. <laughs> I, and before we wrap up, I'm just curious if we could just answer one last question each of what are some things that just really drive you crazy when you go into a showroom some things that you would highly recommend not doing uh i'll start that off yeah so <laughs> so I, I can tell you from a neuroscience standpoint that the brain is more likely to buy if it's a real lifescape so if it looks like something that i would actually have in my home i'm much more predisposed towards the decision of purchase um what's so the problem with that is, as, as vendors will tell you, they always want to have, you know, a lot of vendor representation in the showroom. They want placards on your countertops and, you know, all sorts of tchotchke out uh, representing their product. But the more that you have of that, the less likely people actually buy. So the reason that home centers don't do as well, for example, with vanity sales is because having a run of 10 vanities in a row just doesn't look like what you would see in your house. So the more you make it a lifescape, the more powerful it becomes. And that's why you have to really kind of, from a visual standpoint, scrub your displays and only put things in that would really be something I'd see in real life. So, you know, all the plastic plants and things that people tend to put in showrooms to kind of fill up the displays, those actually work against you. So you kind of want to, to Suzanne's point, declutter, but also whatever I have on the counter should really look like something I would expect to see in my house which is really relative to the whole show house concept, which uh, brings it home. Uh, how about for you, Suzanne? Is there something that just drives you nuts when you see it in a showroom? I'm going to try to take my top three down to one. Because um, <laughs> this is a big, it's a big topic. I'm very passionate about this. I think the showroom is, it just can be overlooked when it's the place of business for you every day. You tend to forget. Um, I would say that staff or employee desks or stations are probably one of the most like eyesore things that I see that people forget about. So if I have a working showroom and I have a desk in that space, because I'm also displaying that desk, of course, for product or 
um, to show the idea that I do other rooms than cabinets, I mean, than kitchens or baths. Um, but keeping that desk area really tidy um, and please don't eat at your desk when it's like open business hours. And we're all guilty of doing this because we're too busy, but smelly lunch, someone walks in, probably my biggest pet peeve, um, next to outdated trends. Those two are kind of my, my top two to kind of keep your eye on and, and improve as time goes on. Yes, really great comments. This conversation's been awesome. I've learned tons and tons today. I feel like I got myself a little associate's degree in neuroscience today. It's super fun. And I'm sure our listeners did too. Uh, thank you so much to both Suzanne and Rob for joining us on KB Talks. We will be back with fresh episodes powered by the NKBA in the coming weeks. And as always, be sure to send your feedback to nkba at flyingcamel.com. Again, that is nkba at flyingcamel.com. Now, stay tuned for a quick NKBA Minute. Why belong to the NKBA? The NKBA makes you smart. With membership, you get access to exclusive business insight, design trends, technology and consumer behavior, the facts you need to grow your business, and professional development opportunities to keep you on top of your game. We save you money. The cost of your membership is covered many times over by free or discounted passes to KBIS, research studies, and learning opportunities. Your professional profile on our website is a free marketing tool for you to showcase your best work and get discovered by potential clients. We raise your credibility with certification. Only members are eligible to apply for the industry's most trusted hallmarks of expertise, the Certified Kitchen and Bath Designer Designation. Certified designers have the potential to earn more and gain confidence among clients and peers. So, come join the Kitchen and Bath Industry Authority. Visit nkba.org to join today.